you know, kind of things that I see over the next decade, we'll call them fearless forecast. How about that? You like fearless? That? I do like okay. that. We'll go Fear, with that. Fear, so we're not tapping crystal balls. We're giving fearless forecasts. <laughs> All right. So these are these are not guaranteed forecasts. These are just fearless forecasts. Right. Welcome to Talking Benjamins with your host, Benjamin. Hey, welcome again to Talking Benjamins. Truly appreciate you being with us. Uh, we sit down again with Brian Kep. He gives us his fearless forecast. Now, these are our fearless forecasts for the next decade. Looking into a little bit of a crystal ball, so listen to the disclosure. The purpose of this podcast is to entertain and inform, not to make any recommendations for you personally. So even if you think something you hear on this podcast is a good idea for you, don't do it. Consult a licensed professional that can work with you personally. And I'll probably play that again at the end. Um, but uh, I have a ton of respect for Brian. Uh, last time, uh, and, and you could tell this was recorded a little bit a while ago, uh, March, April timeline. But uh, again, we do have a good runway for it, a decade. Uh, so I do find it very applicable. I uh, hope you do as well. Hope you get something out of it. Uh, Brian, if nothing else, as a student, um, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but, uh, they say it rhymes. So, uh, I think that Brian has a lot to give in this conversation. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing it and always much success to you. Be good. Do good. Thank you again for being with us and enjoy this conversation with Brian Kep. The purpose of this podcast is to entertain and inform not to make any recommendations for you personally. So even if you think something you hear on this podcast is a good idea for you, don't do it. Consult a licensed professional that can work with you personally. <laughs> Brian, welcome back, man. Good to be back. Yeah, so last time we got really depressing with uh, the COVID-19, and uh, that's... Uh you know, it's still, that's still out there, obviously. But, um, uh, you know, last time we had you on, we, we talked about the market, um, kind of the, the craziness that's going on and, and, and how people should react to it or, or best ways to react to it. But one of the things I asked you kind of in closing um, was, you know, if there was money on the side and I've got a little time horizon here, what are your best ideas? And, um, and I wanted to address kind of a, a write-up you made for advisors that I'm, I'm hoping you can share some of is, you know, your best ideas for the next de next next decade. And I know we got a little taste of it that that last time we spoke, um, but uh, I guess if I can just launch from there, if if what is, is you kind of if I can tap your crystal ball <laughs> for for the next ten years, our our um, what do you see on the horizon for opportunities? Well, I'll give you, I've got a, I've got a list that I could go over, um, and I'll pick up with, uh, I remember your last question last time we talked was, uh, naming a sector mm -hmm. that I felt, felt good about for the next 10 years. And I kind of hedged that and I named two, I, I, it was energy and financials that we discussed. So I'm going to pick up with, uh, energy on that one. So, you know, kind of things that I see over the next decade, we'll call them fearless forecast. How about that? You like fearless? That? I do like okay. that. We'll go fear, with that. Fear. So we're not tapping crystal balls. We're giving fearless forecasts. <laughs> All right. So these are these are not guaranteed forecasts. These are just fearless forecasts. Right. Yeah. 
And ones ones you are definitely not afraid to give. That's right. Um, opportunities that you see for us, us that are, uh, and I say us. I mean, it really can involve anybody to to a certain extent, right? Um, sure. You know, whether whether you're 70, there's a portion of your money you need that uh, is going to provide money for you when you turn 80. Um, sure. And you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. Yeah, go for it. I want to hear this. All right, I'll start. I'll pick up where we left off with energy. I got a couple things there that I want to talk about. One, I think, is what's going to happen is... Buy Chesapeake, right? <laughs> no. No? That's not going to be it. <laughs> you can buy it for about 18 cents right now. So you know your downside. It's another 18 cents from here, right? <laughs> but uh, in general, I think you're going to see composition changes in energy. During our lifetimes, the energy sector has been represented by oil and gas companies, I look for this sector to to diversify into other energy areas this decade, such as solar, wind, and possibly even areas that we haven't even considered or thought about yet. So that's that's interesting. I got one quick question. So I listen to, I don't know if I can legally invoke Jim Cramer's name on here, right? But every once in a while, I'll I'll watch Mad Money. One one of the things that he says on there is, um, because not, not, I mean, obviously, oil and gas companies still make money, right? But one of the headwinds that he sees for oil and gas companies supply is, glut. is the, well, not just supply glut, but is the, is the, the upcoming investor class, if you will, the younger right. people, they want the, the immorality, green, green energy. Yeah. The immorality of owning oil and gas, almost like, um, some people feel about tobacco that, that might, you know, bring the PE ratio down, right? Make it look attractive yeah. from a valuation perspective. Valuations come down because people quote unquote don't like them. But you're saying that there, you foresee diversification within the energy sector itself. Yeah. Up to this point, energy has been represented by oil and gas companies, uh, f- forever. So I see that changing. I don't see that going away. You know, like I mentioned solar and wind as possibilities or, and I'm, you know, there's probably going to be areas that we're not even talking about right now that I'm not even aware of that'll be in this sector in maybe the next five to 10 years. Thermonuclear. There you go. Maybe that's it. Maybe (laughs) go run a screen for your thermonuclear stocks. But yeah, yes. Oil and gas will still be represented in the sector. It just won't be represented exclusively. I think that's what we've seen right now up to this point. So that'll change. I think a second thing, you know, another, we'll call it fearless forecast number two, and, and I think we're going to see outperformance in the energy sector. Um, I'll quit talking about energy after this one, but the 2010s were a terrible decade with plenty of energy bankruptcies. Energy has once had a weighting of around 16.8% in the S&P 500. That has dropped to an all-time low. It's below 4% now. Good night. And it's gotten worse here in the last couple of weeks because it's led on the way down. So it's got a, it has its lowest weighting ever. And I think you're going to get a final washout this year of over-leveraged companies. You're going to get a wave of bankruptcies. And then, you know, toward the ends of the back half of the year, you're going to start seeing consolidation via mergers and acquisitions. And then I think you're going to start working your way back. You know, I, I predict that uh, energy will mean revert, outperform and mean revert back towards a 10% weighting in the S&P 500. So we've gone from 16.8 down to below 4 so relative to all the other sectors, it's, it's dropped by over 75% relative. So I'm not saying it's going to get back to its highs, but, you know, let's at least work our way back to around 10%. I think that's reasonable. And, and if you were to do that, then that means you're outperforming and you've basically more than doubled, almost tripled your weighting just to get back to 10%. And, and part of it's going to be those companies that survive. There, there's still companies with strong balance sheets, strong cash, decent dividends, uh, energies 
paying nice dividends right now. They're above average dividends. So you, you, you take that and then you, f you sprinkle in the future energy that we don't necessarily know about yet and that's not represented in the sector yet. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be an area of opportunity over the next 10 years. Uh, gotcha. So we, we can cash one in the bank right there. There you go. <laughs> number three. Now, what was number two? Number two was the outperformance of energy. Okay. What was number one? The composition changes within it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. So both had to do with energy. So right. these, are the, these are the, these are the uh, what do we call them? Friendly forecasts? Fearless. Fearless. Forecast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fearless. I was going to say friendly forecast doesn't sound right. <laughs> so these are the fearless forecasts. The, uh, tapping that decade crystal ball. The fearless forecast. Um, so the first one was the composition. The second one was the outperformance. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not driving back to 16%, obviously, but uh, even if it makes it back to 10%, it's outperforming the, oh, yeah. the performance that will happen in general over the next day. Sure, right? sure. And that means it's outperforming the others. To get up to that point, it's got to be outperforming relative to the other 10 sectors. You know, you've got technology, you have financials, staples, utilities, discretionary healthcare. The list goes on. There, there's 11 sectors in there. So to, to drop from a 16.8 down below 4 your relative performance against the rest of them has been terrible. So what about somebody that says that, you know, oh, it's all different now. It's, you know, the, the, it'll never, it'll never be more than four or three, 2% of the S&P 500 because that's not how business is, well, you know, it's that, not how it's formed anymore. And things are just different than they were before. That's their fearless forecast. These are mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would not agree with that. I don't think it's going to be a two or three percent waiting ten years from now, and you know the, if people are saying that uh, it is different, I, I hear all that, and I've heard that stuff many times over over the years in markets. It's always different this time, but yet markets ha have a way of behaving in, in patterns, and and you know, to some extent it may be different, like coronavirus. All right, we haven't done coronavirus, but we've done SARS, and we've done you know, the uh, Asian flu and all those other things. So it's different, yes, to some extent, but it's still kind of the same stuff that we've seen before. And uh, sectors come and go, they outperform, they underperform, and usually great buying opportunities are when you can look back at a decade and say, hey, that was the worst one ever. Like, like we saw for the stock market in 2000 and 2009, worst decade ever. What do we get the following decade? Nice outperformance. Energy, I can say right now, worst decade ever. So let's give me 10 years. I think you're going to see outperformance in energy. All right. Got it. So number three, um, and most of these are going to be related to asset classes, sectors, things like that, market-related stuff. So number three is going to be in the area of precious metals. Hmm. Precious metals is a very volatile asset class. Uh, if we look at the last two decades, it's gone from first to worst. Uh, in, in the 2000s, it was first. And in the 2010s, it was worst. And it, was, it even produced a negative decade of performance in 2010 to 2019. So I'm going to look for outperformance again relative to other asset classes this decade in the 2020s. And also, as the U.S. government debt continues to rise, don't be shocked if there's an inflation or hyperinflation scare that arises and launches precious metals to its best decade ever. So th that's interesting. So, that, so, you, so that's a, a tailwind to to launch precious metals. Um, now, a lot of times when you turn on the radio or wherever you're picking up your financial news, a lot of times they talk about deflationary pressures. 
right? Being beneficial for precious uh, metals? Not, no, not being bene- well, not being beneficial to anybody. Um, but they're always trying. They're always trying to incite inflation, and that's what they're trying. You know, they're they're trying to get at that healthy two percent inflation rate, which you know the Fed kind of struggles to get to a lot of times, and other central banks have a hard time getting to. Um, so, what's that picture look like? How do we get to that inflationary period? If that makes sense, if that's what they're trying to push is two percent inflation, how do we get beyond that? Well, I, I think cycle. You know, I think um, <clears throat> I was pretty young, but I remember. The other end of the cycle, we're at the lower end right now with zero Fed funds rate, zero to 25 basis points. So that's the lowest in history. Um, And you go back to, let's rewind the clock, I don't know, 30 years or so, get to the late 70s, early 80s, and we were on the other end of the spectrum. We had double-digit interest rates. So, you know, I think uh, a 30-year cycle like that, you're at the bottom. The next wave's going to be higher, and... We're printing a lot of money. There's a lot of debt. A lot of currencies have collapsed. Ours may or may not. Um, historically, I don't want to get all doom and gloom or anything, but historically, when doom and gloom. <laughs> when um, a currency comes off of a precious metal standard, uh, they've all failed, and they've all done it within 150 years. Essentially becoming a fiat currency, coming so, off of a precious metal standard. Yeah, so we came off the gold standard in the Great Depression era, how fast have they failed? Re- within 100 and 120 or 150. 100 and something years. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was the one. So they've all failed. With, some have failed much quicker than that. The one that lasted the longest lasted 100 and some odd years after coming off a precious metals standard. So we came off the gold standard in the Great Depression era, came off the silver standard about the time I was born in 1971. So been off the gold standard for getting close to 100 years. And off the silver standard for getting close to 50 years. Well, that's exciting. So, so you know, that's something where I made the comment about as, as the debt continues to rise, don't be shocked if there's an inflation or hyperinflation scare that arises. Now, I made a comment about... At, at $2 trillion deficits a year? Yeah. <laughs> I made a comment about, the you know, the very volatile asset class. It was the best performing asset class in the 2000 to 2010 decade, or 2000 through 2009 decade. And then it was the worst performer in 2010 to 2019. And things cycle. So when you come off of best periods, it's often underperformance thereafter. So you look at technology. You can look at the overall stock market. You can look at different asset classes. I'm looking at one here in precious metals. Came a great decade followed by a bad decade. We're probably going to return to a good decade, an above average decade. And if something happens where there's some kind of scare, and problems with the dollar, that, that could just skyrocket gold, silver, precious metals across the board. So what's the best thing to do? Go get gold and throw it in the safe? Well, you can do that, but then you've got the risk of, you know, how are you going to sleep at night knowing you got X amount of gold bars or silver bars or whatever you have in your house? Well, that's why you got to take the, put the gold in the safe, take the gun out of the safe, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then Lock you, your guns up, folks. <laughs> and you're going you to tell the neighbors and word spreads. Like, you know, that, that's one way to do it. I don't know how well I'd sleep at night doing that. You can certainly buy... Uh, mining companies, gold mining companies. Uh, you can buy, um, there's exchange traded funds that, that store gold or silver or various, uh, various precious metals in a vault. So they're, they're, you know, they take a very small fee to exchange do that. traded funds, ETFs. Yeah, there you go. So. so, so there's a number of ways to do that. And there's, there's certainly gold mining companies, you know, people that are out there mining for the gold and they're usually higher leverage, higher leverage plays. If gold moves five or 10%, they'll often move, Higher beta, more. 
mm -hmm. bottom line. They might move twice as much, for example. So, um, you know, those are ways. But something else on precious metals, um, our dollar has been very strong over the past decade relative to other currencies. And precious metals, the price of gold, the price of silver have done very bad in the last 10 years in U.S. dollar terms. If you look at it in other currencies, they've had phenomenal moves. So this asset class has done below average performance. So bottom line, that's enough to get me interested. 10 mm -hmm. years of underperformance, and in this case, 10 years of arguably the worst performance. So that's enough to get me excited about it, its prospects over the next decade. But then you throw in the fact that if there's a currency problem, um, this could just go, go through the roof. I mean, you've seen what Bitcoin has done. If you look at a Bitcoin chart, and, and, you know, the phase there and the tulip bulb craze, I mean, there could, there's the potential for a craze where you just see this parabolic move up because of the, uh, what it trades relative against being the U.S. dollar. And it's happened in many other countries and many other currencies. Key theme is coming off the precious metal standard, and we've done it. So I'm not saying that's going to happen. I, I think my exact comment was, don't be shocked if an inflation or hyper hyperinflation scare arises, launching it to its you know the, the the sector of precious metals to its best decade ever. All right, I'm going to move on to fearless forecast number four. All right, let's hear it. Right. But how do we have 27 of them, right? Uh, I got. I think I have about eight of them. All right, all right. So we're we're getting about <laughs> at the midpoint. Sounds good. All right, here's something that you may not have heard about in the markets in a long time. It's going to be Japan. 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 Remember Japan? <laughs> yeah, I love sushi. Yeah, they're still around. So um, here's number four is Fuji. Fuji film, right? Fuji that's, films that's coming big, back. That's big business these days. Uh, Japan returns among the global leaders. That's uh, so, uh, fearless forecast. Now in the 80s, we called that the, um, oh man, I need a history book. Something Tigers. The uh, I don't know. There's an economic term for it. For Japan? I used to be a world history teacher. Okay. Golly. I'm going to have to find it out, and I'm going to have to plug it in. Um, you keep talking. I'm going to Google. Okay. So on, regarding Japan, so in the 80s, you mentioned the 80s. That, that's exactly what I want to talk about. That was the heyday for Japan. In the 1980s, Japan was the global leader, and the Japanese stock market reflected it. However, Japan has, has yet to return to its glory days. It has been three decades since Japan's stock market made an all-time high. Astonishingly, it is still how, how many decades? Three. Holy, three. You got to go back to around eighty nine, ninety. Astonishingly, it is still about fifty percent below those highs that were set in nineteen eighty nine and ninety. So look for Japan to outperform, rejoin the global leaders, and lift the international equity sector to outperformance in the twenty twenties. Did you find it in your Google search there? What um, you were looking for? A little bit here. I got to double check that I'm. Are we allowed to plug or discuss Google? <laughs> so. We're not making any recommendations on Google. Googling, Googling oh, is not a recommendation to buy Google man. stock. I could be mistaken. We can move on. Yeah, four Asian tigers. I did find reference to that from an economic standpoint, but that's making reference to um, Taiwan, South Korea, um, Singapore, and Hong Kong. All right. So. Whatever, finally. Um the uh oh the tiger economy. See look, I'm not I'm not totally off base here. 
What is a tiger? A tiger economy is term used to describe um, several blo- booming economies in Southeast Asia. The Asia tiger economy typically includes Singapore, Hong Kong, South Korea, and Taiwan. Okay, fine. I'm totally off base here. It's the surrounding East right. Asian countries. All right. We'll move on. Either way, the 80s were good, good for I- Japan. Good idea. <laughs> good Nintendo. Thought. Nintendo. All right. That's Japan, right? That was Japan, yeah. Okay. Sony? Yeah, Japan. Okay. Japan. PS, is PlayStation? PS4? Yeah, PlayStation. I think my kids Sony, have Sony that. PlayStation. So, Sony, yeah, Sony PlayStation. You're right. Yeah, they have yeah. that. Xbox, Microsoft, United States of America. All right. I think I think mine have don't have the Sega. Xbox. Sega. <laughs> yeah, I remember those oh, commercials. School. All right. So you were saying, but so you expect outperformance out of Japan for the first time in three decades? Well, it, it hasn't made a new all-time high in its market in over th- basically three decades. But why now? It's time. And the charts, the technicals are starting to look good. They're starting to look promising. So last decade was not time. But this upcoming yeah. decade, it's time. That's my fearless forecast. Fearless forecast. You, you heard, heard it here. You haven't heard about Japan in three decades. It's going to come back this next decade. Because everybody I talk to likes Japan. Yeah. Right? It's a good place. They got... They got yeah, you know, people have decent jobs, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they got some smart people over there. They've got some first innovative country, technology man. over there, first world country, and they've just been bright lights, flashy it's, streets. It's time for them to go back to the '80s again. They're gonna they're gonna do it in the 2020s. All right, economic boom in Japan, huh? There you go. All right, number five, emerging markets outperforms. Hmm. All right, so there are some high profile asset managers. There's a number of them that have been calling for emerging markets to outperform U.S. markets for most of the prior decade. They haven't been right. No kidding. But they'll finally get it right this decade if, if, they're, still, if they're still sticking with it. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon this decade. So after a decade of underperforming most equity asset classes and even the U.S. bond market, emerging markets... It's mar- underperformed the U.S. bond market. It has underperformed the U.S. When bond When the U.S. Market. bond market had like the worst... Run yes. in a decade. It yes. even did worse than that. Yes. It was yeah, I know. So it's time. It's and time there as well. Give, give us a little synopsis. What does emerging markets entail? What does it include? Well, uh the BRIC countries would be the four probably the four heaviest weightings. So Brazil, Russia, India, China. Brazil. Eu gosto de Brasil. I didn't know you could do uh Portuguese. Yeah, you guys. Uh, you follow. You got all the brick. You, what, let me hear your Chinese. I didn't hear Chinese. Uh, no sé la. No, okay. No, okay. I don't, okay. I don't know how to speak that. Man. All right. Well, you can work so on that. Brazil, Russia, India, India, China, China. We have a couple socioeconomic foes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. India. Oh, well, f- not so much. But uh, India. I, I was thinking Russia, China. Yeah. I mean, not that. Yeah, India is an ally. Yeah, strong ally right. with India. But, uh, now, do you see India popping this decade compared sure. compared to China? Yeah, I, do. I mean they've got as many people just about, but their economy is like one eighteenth the size. They're, they're part of the asset class, so I'm saying all of them collectively are going to outperform, and they've done it before. They they didn't do it this prior decade. They certainly did it the decade before in 2000 to 2009. So um, again, things cycle. Things are outperforming for a while, then they underperform for a while. And when you can look at things like a 10-year period of time, like we just said there, and you can say, oh, my gosh, not only did they lag and underperform, they even got beat by the bond market. You know, they were po- emerging markets posted positive gains, but they were very, very minute. 
And compared to what they were in the 2000 to 2009 decade, they were very strong back then. So I, I think it's time to, to see some outperformance there again. It's been 10 years since we've seen it. So yeah, I, I like it for the next decade. How about U.S. stocks? This will be fearless forecast number six. Ooh. All right. So we're not, you're not throwing us in the gutter after a great decade, huh? Yes, I am. U.S. stocks <laughs> underperform. <laughs> you're get under- I'm thinking like we're bullish here, and you're like, nope. <laughs> no. We're Even gonna- if we're starting out at a, at a 30% drop here? Now, now, what about from here? That's a little. You know, I actually, I, I wrote this. Um, you wrote this A couple months ago, prior back in January. Right? Yeah. yeah, so. These fearless forecasts was a segment I did back in January in writing. I haven't talked about it like we're doing right now. But, um, you know, n- nothing's changed. I, I figured I had 10 years, so I could wait a couple months to have you on. Yeah, well, that, w- that, was, that was number six there. U- U.S. stocks out underperform, and, and they have had a great decade. They've, you know, basically after a decade in which the U.S. stocks, if represented by the S&P 500, I'll focus on that, it outperformed its long-term historical average by 35% annualized. So basically generated a 13.5% annualized return over the last 10 years versus the long-term return of 10%. Right. So 35% above average performance every year annualized for a decade. So I think the U.S. will cool off in the 2020s and record, record annualized gains below 10% somewhere in the single digits. Hmm. All right. And there's a lot of people right now that may have a problem with that and may say, you know what? It's the strongest horse in the it's the strongest horse in the barn, right? It's uh, I it's was been say doing the, the better, better that, than any place in the world. Why would you stray from that? I've heard somebody say the healthiest horse in the glue factory. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but but f- ironically, ten years ago, re- rewind the clock ten years and y- you saw the opposite. US right. was the worst performing asset class and consensus opinion at that time was, oh, if you want to make money, you, you got to get outside the U.S. You got to go around the world. You got to look at emerging markets internationally. So you don't necessarily, that, you don't necessarily think that that means that the economy is going to perform poorly, do you? There's just, just a market thing. A market thing. So the economy can maybe still the, do okay. Maybe the economy does fine. Maybe it does average. Maybe it does below average. Maybe it does bad. Maybe it does great. But regardless of what the economy does, I think you're going to see underperformance below the long-term average returns of 10%, you're going to see single-digit performance. Gotcha. Just don't say under 5%. I'm leaving it pretty – I'll just leave it at single digits below average performance. I guess we did have a decade where it was zero, right? Yeah, that was the lost decade. That was the 2000 and 2009 decade worst ever, and it actually had a negative print. Negative. Let's do better than that. Yeah. So let's keep it positive, but probably single digits. Number seven, higher interest rates. Wow, there's a, that's a no-brainer, right? Seems like well, a no-brainer. off of 30 basis points, yeah. Yeah. So with, with, with interest rates current, currently hovering near all-time lows and the bond market completing its worst decade in recorded history, 2010-2019, expect higher yields and improved performance from fixed income. So, you know, that, that would be good news for the clients that are much older and starved for yield, right? We have, they haven't seen much of that. They can't get it in CDs. The bond yields have been low. Treasury yields are low and getting lower, so they need to catch a break. They need to be rewarded with some higher interest rates on their savings and their bond investments. So um, I think they're going to get some of that here in this upcoming decade. Last one, and this is kind of an interesting one. It's dollar down. U.S. dollar Don't down. Don't say U.S. dollar down. Yeah, so let's, let's, let me elaborate on that. This kind of goes back into uh, number three. Well, th- this actually... This one right here, 
although it's not, people aren't going to necessarily go out and, oh, I'm going to go buy the dollar. <laughs> or, yeah. or, oh, it's going to be bad. I'm going to sell the dollar. Dollar down. I'm going to use all my dollars. I'm going to short gonna the dollar. I'm going to spend them all, I'm man. I'm going to spend them all. It, I'm going to convert them to yen and pounds and francs and you name it. But I um, go forex on this, huh? Yeah. So, so the interesting thing on the U.S. dollar is, well, first of all, currencies trade relative to each other. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a rising U.S. dollar, that implies a falling foreign currency. Uh, the U.S. dollar in the last decade has rallied against a basket of global currencies for so, most of the. So maybe it's not that the dollar is rising, but it's the other currencies are falling. That's what we've seen primarily over the last decade. So, relative to one another dollar strength, foreign currency weakness. In the prior decade, it was, it was, you know, the euro, I remember the euro. It's all the relativity of all our favorite fiat currencies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the U.S. dollar, it's rallied against a basket of global currencies for most of the prior decade. And that fact, the rising U.S. dollar, has been a headwind against foreign stock markets and commodities, helping the U.S. markets outperform all of them over the past decade. So look for that to change in this decade. Go back to stuff that we saw in 2000, 2009, where we had dollar weakness versus the euro. We had dollar weakness versus most of the foreign currencies. You're saying because the strength of the dollar has helped create outperformance? Yeah, it's it's a headwind against things like commodities, oil prices, um, precious metals prices, uh, international and emerging markets. So... When we saw dollar strength in the prior decade, we saw the, sometimes when you hear them talk, when you hear them, the talking heads, um, they'll, they'll mention the, the you know, if the, if the dollar's kind of rich, if the dollar's high, then they're with U.S. global companies, then their revenue overseas shrinks because it's more expensive for them. the strength of the dollar. Mm-hmm. So even though that that's been the case, we've still outperformed. Oh yeah, we've outperformed every every asset class. Does that mean our international companies theoretically should do better if the dollar weakens? Yeah, and I think you're going to see the international stock market, the emerging market stock market. I think you're going to go back to something like we saw in 2000 to 2009 mm-hmm. on a relative basis. You know, I'm not, you know, in 2000, 2009, the U.S. stock market had a lost decade and finished the decade negative. I'm not saying that. I'm saying underperformance, single-digit gains instead of the 13.5% we saw per year in the last prior decade. So... Um, a falling U.S. dollar gets us back to like 2000, 2009. What happened there was all these things we've talked about outperformed. Emerging markets, international, precious metals, energy, et cetera. And, and part of that was the tailwind of a falling dollar. And in the, you know, two decades ago and in the last decade, it was the headwind of a rising dollar that helped those things lag and, and get beaten by the stock market. So we've seen the stock market go from worst to first. You know, it was the worst performing asset class, 2000, 2009. It was the best performing asset class, 2010 to 19. And the dollar has something to say about that. Gotcha. So, cool. so, so there we go. I mean, there, there's eight of them I think I gave you. And, you know, will they all be accurate? Probably not. But don't be surprised if most of these pan out. Yeah. Fearless forecast. There you go. So of the best performing stocks of last decade... Uh-huh. Which ones are going to be included in the best performing stocks of this upcoming decade? Which stocks are the, which are the best performers of the last decade? So you're talking about so FANG? So yeah, so I'm talking about your FANG stocks. Your, your best performing stocks from the last decade. Are any of them going to be included in the best performing stocks of this upcoming decade? 
define are they included in the best top 10 best performers? Top 10. None of them. Not one. Not one. That's your fearless forecast. Yeah. So Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix. None of those will be in the top 10. Those are just going to turn into sleepy old value companies cranking out a dividend for you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying none of them will be in the top 10 on performance for the next decade. Gotcha. If you had to pick one to be in the top 10. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's easier to say that not one of those 10 will be there. Because uh, generally that's the case, is it not? Yeah, I, I bet. You know, I bet at least I half of them will my, be companies uh, we're not even talking yeah. about right now that we don't even yeah. know about. Because Microsoft's really the only one that's that's been in the top 10 the past two decades, I believe. It was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was not in 2000 to 2009. Oh, gotcha. It was in the 90s and it was in the 2010s. Gotcha. Resurgence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So those are our fearless forecasts for the next decade. Um, so amongst all the negativity in the world, there's your positivity outlook for the next decade. Uh, listen closely to our disclosures um, before you go out and start uh, clicking on things to, to purchase on the market. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but any, any kind of closing wisdom before we, before we sign off? You know, just markets in general reward investors over the long run and try to have a game plan, you know, setting money aside, a portion of a paycheck monthly, you know, even if it's a couple hundred bucks, you know, everybody's got different budgets and different income levels, but try to put a portion in there and, and, buy in on a regular basis, periodic basis. Try to stick away from cherry picking the big individual stock winners. If you have a hunch or an urge to do that, you know, maybe you set aside a little play money account and don't be surprised if that disappoints you 10 years down the road. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, just, just regular discipline investing. And you know, when you got a situation like we're seeing right now with the coronavirus and the 30% drop in the market, strongly consider putting money to work there. Um, it's a it's a unique time. It's a scary time. There have been many scary times in market history. Many of them, you don't even people fear things that never happen. They fear crashes or sell-offs that never materialize. Here's one that has on a coronavirus. And you know, historically, those have been great opportunities to buy the market as a whole. So you know, think about doing that. You know, a rare opportunity to buy in at a discount right now, and even beyond that. A, a systematic, disciplined approach where you're putting some portion of your money away for investments every month. Awesome. Awesome. Brian Cap, thanks for being with us here on Talking Benjamins. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. All right, man. Till next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Benjamins. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, it would be our pleasure to be followed at TalkingBenjamins1. That is at TalkingBenjamins, the number one. Also, you can find us at TalkingBenjamins.com for show notes and our blog. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, we highly encourage you to leave a positive comment. If you didn't enjoy, feel free not to comment. And either way, out of the goodness of your heart, text someone the link to this episode if you think they would enjoy it. Thank you again for listening. Talking Benjamins. Talking Benjamins. Talking Benjamins.